Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, today we have a very practical message preached about finish work faith. Our faith is very specific and it's alive. The work of Jesus Christ, he is a central figure to our faith. I think you'll enjoy this message. It gives great definition. And then afterwards, we're going to do a short devotional message out of the book of Hebrews. What is a finished work faith? And what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith? That we stand in God's justification and have access into grace by God's faith imparted to us through his word and through his promises. Many, many people in various ministries of healing, and you see them on your television and you get built up and they have some good things to say, and you get built up, but they have a, an emphasis on faith without even understanding their emphasis. They have an emphasis on faith in the healing and atonement and don't understand the finished work, faith of grace. Some people teach healing and atonement and they preach you can lose your salvation. That's not finished work, faith, you see. That's a doctrinal faith that misunderstands the finished work, faith. Now, ever since time began, philosophers have tried to deny the truth of Jesus Christ, our faith, because they tried to discredit the person of Jesus Christ, which is the center of our faith. And because they have done this, they have always tried to rule out the possibility that God, in a man, or as a man, died upon the cross. Let me, let me illustrate that very briefly, and don't get caught up with these fancy names. They don't mean a lot except to give you some something in, in relativity in terms of principles. For example, the docesis said that Jesus Christ was only a man. That's all. But the Ebionites, they said, no, he's more than a man. He, a little more than a man. Uh, well, he seemed to be a man. It seems like he was a man, but he did things a little more than a man, so we'll just consider that he was a man. Now, that's not much different than the former group. But then the Serinthianists, now that's a beautiful name for you, they said and they taught that God joined Christ at his baptism but left him before Calvary. And, uh, of course, Jesus Christ was God, he was deity, and God cannot leave God. And when Jesus said, well, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He simply meant that in his own free volition, he didn't allow his deity of whom he was to interfere with the suffering of his humanity of whom he was. Now, God didn't leave God because God was God, but God didn't let who he was take away from the suffering of who he became as creature so that we could become who he is by redemption. Now, is that clear? So, uh, rather, uh, whatever it was, the Serinthianists, all those philosophies tried to do away with Jesus Christ, God Almighty, suffering a vicarious atonement 
for our sins. They tried to do away with that. And so, all kinds of ridiculous things, of course, have been taught in our educational institutions, and thus they have bred lives of immorality or lives that do not even understand moralistic values. For example, uh, some of you that have read ancient uh, philosophy will remember Potelemaic philosophy, which simply said that everything revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of everything. And then came the more noble and progressive understanding of a Copernican group, which said, no, no, the earth revolves around the sun, and that brings you happiness, while the Proteomelic uh, philosophy brings you confusion. And put it all together, and it doesn't make any sense to you, does it? <laughs> but, think of it just for a moment with me. All of these philosophies that the Word of God calls vain philosophies, all of these philosophies did and accomplished one thing. They established competitive thoughts which occupied the vainness of man's mind to produce the independence of man's life on deity, Jesus Christ. Thus denying his word or accepting his word only inasmuch as he was a Jesus or a way to a God and not the God, which is the only way. It's amazing how they've ruled out Christ on a cross and thus implementing a program of self-discovery and self-cultivation. And the whole thing is research, do meditation, do this, do that, and you'll discover yourself and get to know yourself and then cultivate yourself self-discovery and self-cultivation. A vain trip which makes man egocentric instead of Christ-centric. And then this comes into Christianity and Christianity becomes where Christ is accepted in part and salvation becomes a self-salvation instead of a Christ-salvation. Now we let, it, we let areas where Satan loses his hold and Christianity progresses into a more meaningful ministry and a more meaningful thing. And then we have the faith of Jesus Christ versus man's faith toward God without the righteousness of God's faith motivating man's thoughts. In other words, it would be possible as a Christian scientist to, have, to meet the demands of the law of faith without having the faith of Jesus Christ. It would be possible for a Bible-believing fundamentalist to obey the letter of the law and have a law faith, because they don't commit the overt sins, which is good that they don't, but have a letter of the law faith. Then, in, in some of these faith healers, it's possible to work people up to an emotional faith, where everybody rises to the occasion with a hooped up emotional faith and actually get results in all three areas of faith. But it still can get results because God honors certain laws. But what Christ is teaching and desires to impart is a finished work faith. 
in which he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, do you understand it tonight? Let me illustrate it to you. If I have a finished work faith, then I believe in absolute, total forgiveness for all of my sins. Why? Because he's the author and finisher of the faith that I now have. What does that mean? Well, he's the end of the law in Romans 10.4. And not only that, but he is my propitiation or mercy seat in 1 John 2.2. 2, and he's my advocate or representative as my lawyer in Hebrews 9.24, as well as my intercessor in Hebrews 7.26. So, pertaining to our sins a believer that really begins to be rooted in maturity begins to experience a mature faith. What is a mature faith? That if we sin, we rebound for purposes of fellowship and name it and confess it and repent. But a finished work faith believes that all of our sins, past, present, and future, are paid for and we confess and repent sin so we can fellowship with the person that did it and not be deceived into lies and fraudulent behavior. Now, if we have a mature faith, it means that we know no other person after the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5.16 So, we don't have resentment, we don't have bitterness, we don't have anger. We don't react. We do not gossip. We do not criticize. We have a mature faith toward God and we don't commit our situation to them. We commit it to Christ in John 2.24. So a finished work faith is a mature faith where we are freed from the penalty of sin in Romans 6.17 and where we're free indeed in John 8:32, and where people that we're around, while we're going to relate to them in honesty and with true integrity, we won't inwardly hold them accountable for their wrongs, but we'll walk honestly in the light pertaining to their wrongs. So a mature faith is one that knows that sins are not the issue, but only, as it was mentioned on radio this week, a symptom that we're not fellowshipping with the person of our salvation, which would make us Christ-centered instead of self-centered. Christ-centric instead of egocentric. Egocentric people have emotional problems. Egocentric people have depressions. Egocentric people have problems sometimes with their tongues. Egocentric people do not have patience because they don't have the proper natural resources to maintain their lot. Now, a Christ-centered person progressively grows in experiencing a Christ-centered walk with God with a mature faith. Now, that mature faith enters into listening. It enters into receiving. It enters into experiencing. It enters into confessing. It enters into service. It enters into humility. It enters into boldness. It enters into quietness. A finished work faith believes that no matter how I feel, 
he finished my faith and I experienced his promises for my life. Now, with this being true, a mature person realizes that they are responsible for what they are. Let's say you had a bad father, a bad mother, or a bad mother and a good father. Uh, let's say that you, had, you were brought up in a poverty-stricken area. Let's say you had a bad childhood, but you're still, tonight, responsible for what you are. Why? Because you still had to choose how you was going to respond to your environment. You still had a choice. You still had options. You didn't have to be defeated by it. You didn't have to get frustrated. You didn't have to establish lines of defeat. You didn't have to go into weaknesses and frailties and cultivate them. You didn't have to. You did have a choice. No one or no amount of situations can govern your responses. Only you and I can govern our responses with our free volition. So I am responsible for where I am tonight. No one in the earth is responsible for it. I am, and if I go to God, then God is responsible for maintaining our lot. But no one on earth is responsible for anybody else because each person has choice. Now, because of this, Christ, understanding that our frame and our frailty gives us a finished work faith. And that finished work faith includes the character and nature of God so that we experience the character of God rather than the effects of our circumstances. No matter how hot the furnace is turned up, the character of God, no matter how deep we are placed into adverse conditions, the character of God through a finished work faith. No matter how uh, our feelings intimidate us, it's the character of God in a finished work faith equals maturity in my choice to respond to God for my situation. A mature faith. A faith that's so mature it listens instead of feels. And then it feels good because it listens. A faith that's so mature it experiences instead of waits. And then can wait because it experiences. A, a maturity that makes a person able to lay down their lives instead of pick it up. And because they lay it down, God gives it back to them. A maturity that knows that God can be nothing less than God and man can be nothing more than man. But if you put God, who is nothing less than God, in man who can be no more than man, then you've got God in man's weakness, which equals and reveals God's character. So a finished work faith gives man God's character, God's absolute assurance and confidence and security. No wonder that the word of God says a peace that passes understanding, because all that you understand has been finished by his faith in you. So it says, the faith of Jesus Christ. It says, we live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave ourselves for us. When a fellow says, Lord, give me more faith, like in the Word of God in Luke 18, Luke 17, God turns around and said, no, you don't need more. You need the faith of the grain of a mustard seed. 
you don't need more faith, you need Christ's faith. Have faith in God means have faith in God's faith. Say unto the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and don't doubt, and you've got God's faith to move the mountain. Come up and touch the hem of his garment, you've got God's faith to heal your affliction. Go to God with your marriage, you've got God's character of patience, God's poise of peace, God's love for for strengthening, and you've got God's faith to experience reconciliation for marriage. So whatever it is, you don't have to depend upon your faith, and you don't have to depend upon your character. We have God's character and God's nature in 2 Peter 1.4 and the faith of Jesus Christ. So if we have the faith of Jesus Christ, why do we have to work it up? It may be worked up, but we don't work it up. A lot of people like to see things go down and then they'll always see things come up. But anyway, the faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's not a person here that wouldn't completely be happy if they understood he's the author and finisher of their faith. Not somebody else's, but ours. Well, I don't know what I'll do, but he's finished the work and has given you a finished work faith. So, when the Lord comes into the picture with his finished work faith, all kinds of things can happen. Each thing is subject to sovereignty, it's subject to God's timetable, and it's subject to God's benefits, which will best be worked out for more people than just you. So everything is subject to how the most would get blessed the best. But when Jesus Christ goes on the cross, he offers us a finished work love, a finished work hope, a finished work fellowship, a finished work prayer life. Uh, I know you hear me, Father, but just so they'll know, by the way, raise up Lazarus, and I thank you. Finished work, faith. Uh, virtue went out of me. Finished work, faith. She believed he was deity, and that meant that he was e- the eternal God to hear it. Uh, finished work, faith. Forgive seven times in a day for the same sin. Finished work, forgiveness. Seven times, same identical sin, committed in one day, and forgive, said Jesus, if they turn and say repent, in Luke 17. Finished work, forgiveness, to be experienced through a finished work faith. Now, what does finished work faith produce? Rest. It produces the kind of rest where the storm can come up and the boat can be totally wavering and the storm can can produce the water in the boat and Jesus can sleep. He was in a finished work faith in his father to control him during the storm, not just after the storm was over. Now, most of you would take a great big sigh and say, wow, I thought we was going down. Jesus slept and said, I knew we couldn't go down. In Luke 8, he told the disciples, we're going over. And then the last part of it, it said they got over. A finished work trip. So, God's people begin to understand that when you're put in a furnace and the enemy turns it up harder and the demons turn it up harder, you have a finished work fellowship, not 
after you come out, but while you're in there in Daniel 3, 22 to 27. A finished work fellowship. Now, the furnace is turned up seven times harder. There was not a word said about not going in. There was not a word said about doubting God's word. There wasn't even prayer for deliverance. Some of our faith healers today would have really indicted those three Hebrews. They, boys, all they said, if he wants to deliver us, if he can. If he doesn't, he won't. Let's go. They would have said, oh, no, you should have claimed it based it upon the word of God. You never have to go in that place. Finished work fellowship while the furnace was turned up harder and the three Hebrew boys were looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, to experience the perfect will of God and to trust God for the results of what they believed. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. I love the book of Hebrews. It really it speaks so much of the person of Jesus Christ, and it gives very particular specifics that we see in this book that are really shown nowhere else. Here, when we get to Hebrews 9, speaking about the finished work, what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, starting in verse 4, it's speaking here about the tabernacle and about the, the mercy seat which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak now particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. And here it's talking about the ministry of the priesthood, and it's talking about the specific ministry of the high priest. And we know Jesus is our high priest. Going on to verse 11. But Christ, being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, which they are called, might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. And in Hebrews 10.10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And here we see the ministry of the priesthood and the ministry of the high priest. We are 
kings and priests in this world. We have been given this ministry, not like Israel. We're not under the law. But there is this comparison given the scripture is good for us and profitable for our learning. God has made us ministers of reconciliation. Like the priests brought people, they brought, they received the sacrifices of the people. The sweet-smelling incense was continually coming from the holy place behind them. People experienced the, the reality of their, the payment of their sins when they brought those animal sacrifices in. They saw what was done, what was accomplished, and they left knowing that their sins were covered. But the, this ministry of the high priest was a unique one. It was one only he had. There was no other priest that could go in there and do what he did. And this is true of Jesus Christ. He had this very unique ministry for paying for the sins of the whole world. What, what an incredible thing. Can anyone, could anyone hope to take on that task? No, no one. Only him. He came from the Father for this very purpose, lived his whole life knowing that he was born to die so that men might be reconciled to God. And then he accomplished that ministry and he did it once and for all. That, the, that priest in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, for the Jewish people, he would go in there once every year. But this priest, he went in once and for all and accomplished all that needed to be done. I love that. That my, my spirituality is never dependent upon me. It's always dependent upon my high priest. Those, that priesthood could not function without the ministry of the high priest. He went in and the sins of the, of the whole year were covered by that one, the action of that one day. And it was only that one day that he went into that holy place. What Jesus did on our behalf covered our sin. It paid the bill for our spirituality. We don't have to pay our spiritual light bill. It isn't going to be turned off by our performance. Jesus paid that bill and it is there. All that we need, all that God would desire of us, really has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. God the Son and God the Father made a covenant before the world ever began, there the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And we have entered into that spiritual life. We believed, not a work, but, but an act of faith. And in believing, God did all the work and took us out of one kingdom and put us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Did all that we need. And now, we can function in this ministry. We have an open heaven where we can pray to the Lord. We have a, a place where we can minister and bring people in and they can smell the savor of the sweet incense coming out of the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing that our ministry as believers is to usher in, is to be and practice and be in the presence of God and then by, the, by His grace that people would sense His presence because we are living a life that's purely glorifying Him in all the things that we do and that we say by the grace of God. And when we aren't that way, we repent and turn. And even in our repentance, we make an invisible God visible. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com 
dot com. So maybe you don't know, maybe you've never heard, maybe you've never received, maybe you've never before today believed that there was blood shed on a cross 2,000 years ago that paid for all of your sin, for every unbelieving thought, for every faithless moment. Jesus paid and went into the holy place with his own blood that you might be able to stand in the presence of God, clean, forgiven, and purified. So, if you would like to have the benefit of this payment that's already been made on your behalf, you can. You pray a prayer or believe in your heart or cry out to God asking Him to come into your life. And that blood that was shed 2,000 years ago, it is potent, it is powerful, it is the payment made for your sin, all of your sin, that will allow you to have a relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven with Him. All you need to do is cry out to Him and ask Him to come into your life. And I, I pray that you would. I plead with you that you would. And we, we ask these things and seal this time in Jesus' name. Amen.